Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning. Man, it's good to see you folks. I really appreciate the flexibility y'all have given me because of my other role. Long before I said yes to coming to you, there was already dates I had committed to. One of those was this past Sunday at the Southern Baptist Convention. And so I appreciated my pastor, former pastor, uh, Jay Gross, coming. And uh, I've watched you online. And I appreciate that you were kind and gentle. And so thank you so much for that. And we are continuing in the series, Tell Me the Story. And this morning, we are brought the theme of that by Malia Thomas, daughter of Vincent and Danielle. And we are talking about the story of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. And we're going to talk about never being too far from home. And we have a picture of Malia and the crew that she gets to hang out with at her house. And so I'm guessing there's always somebody to play with. And so we are thankful. Would you say thank you with me for Malia and her drawing, please? Appreciate it so much. So I'm going to ask you to look in your Bible to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. And I'll remind you that today, not only are we looking at this passage, but also we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So as we go through Luke 15, I'm going to ask you to use this as a preparation of our hearts to go toward the receiving of the Lord's Supper. That the Lord has something to say to you and to say to me about our hearts being ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and I believe we're going to hear some things in Luke 15 that will resonate with us. As we do that, I want to mention that as we go into Luke, it'll be important to understand the text, to grab hold of the context of what is taking place, and we see it at the very beginning of Luke 15 in verses 1 and 2, because In this three-part answer to a concern that's being raised, Jesus is going to give us an understanding of who he wants to reach. Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Let's pray. Father, In the holy and precious name of Jesus, we come to your word and we ask you to reveal to our hearts what you want us to hear today. And Lord, as we listen to your response to this expressed concern, as we hear your word, God, may we hear your heart for us. And may we seek to understand what you might want to teach us today about how we are to walk in this world that you have put in front of us. For we pray it in Jesus, your holy and precious name. Amen. They begin to mutter, to grumble. This man receives sinners and eats with them. 
And the Pharisees and the scribes, they just couldn't understand why Jesus was doing what he was doing. Because after all, as they looked at Jesus, it became pretty clear that while he didn't come from a traditional background by far, and while he had not been raised inside one of their rabbinic schools, it was very clear that he knew the Word of God, that he was able to explain the Word of God, and they were seeing the miracles of God taking place through his life. And so they're looking at him, and they're trying to understand how he could be that close to God, how he could somehow be the one that could explain God's Word in that way, and yet he didn't understand who he was sitting at the table with. Let's take a minute to talk about these two groups of people. One group was the scribes and the Pharisees, those that were like the lawyers of the day and the teachers of the law. And, you know, most of the time when we say the word Pharisee, we are not complimenting somebody, are we? We don't normally look at somebody and say, you're such a Pharisee. And they go, thank you. (laughs) But the very nature of the word has come to mean critical, legalistic, uptight, born with a broom. And they're, anyway, they are really, you know, rigid. But you know something? The Pharisees actually believed that they should trust the Word of God. The Pharisees believed that people could have a personal relationship with God outside of temple. The Pharisees championed that we should be faithful to God's Word, and they very often were consistent and intentional in their obedience. But somewhere in there, some things got lost. And there was this other group that Jesus is with, and the Bible describes them, what, as tax collectors and sinners. Now, If you work for the IRS, I am not trying to hurt your feelings in this moment. But I want you to know the tax collector that is mentioned here is not the kind of tax collector that might come knocking on your door. Very often this was somebody that bid on a service saying that they could get so much taxes out of a particular region. And the way they'd make their living is anything they made over their bid, they were able to scrape off for them to enjoy as they're living. So think about what it would be like if the IRS officer that came to do an audit with you was working on commission. That's what it would feel like. And not only that, very often when you couldn't pay your taxes, they would lend you money so that you could pay your taxes and you would set up collateral, which could be your lands or your homes or your possessions, and then when you didn't make payment, they would confiscate it. And they had some centurions with them to make sure you didn't get out of line. So you can imagine they were not a popular group. Let's also remember this. They were viewed as traitors because they were working hand in glove with an occupying force called Rome. So not only, not only did they take advantage of people, not only did they break the law of God on usury, not only did they do that, they also weren't good citizens. 
Now that's one group. And then there's the other. And the Bible refers to them as sinners. And sometimes when we talk about these two groups, when we say we got the scribes, the Pharisees, and we got the tax collectors and the sinners, a simplistic way to say is anybody that wasn't a Pharisee or one of the priests or that group, thus the common people, those are the sinners. But that's not what that word is at all. The word that is used here in this text is literally a word that would have referred to someone that received payment for participating in immoral acts. Or the people who managed them, or the people who actually lived a lifestyle where they cared little or nothing about the things of God. They didn't care about community norms. They didn't care about God's commands. They lived the life they wanted to live under their terms. So could you understand why when the Pharisees and the scribes are looking at Jesus and the Bible says that not only did he receive them, he put them at his table. Now, here's what you need to know within that culture. If I put you at my table, I put you under my protection. If I put you at my table, you are now my guest of honor. If I put you at my table, I am saying that I love you, I embrace you, and I accept you. And they were sitting there trying to figure out how in the world can somebody that says that they are going to teach me the Word of God and demonstrate the Word of God and live the Word of God choose to be with people who said they don't care anything about the Word of God or the things of God. So Jesus, hearing them, responds with an answer. He tells them a series of parables. Now remember, a parable is a story that is told about usually common daily life that has a deeper spiritual meaning, and the intention is not only the deep spiritual meaning, but it's also an opportunity for the hearer to be able to identify in that parable who they are inside that story. And so I want you to think about that as we get toward our text, and we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Some of you are saying, if this is the introduction, we're in trouble. <laughs> but the Bible says, the first parable is found in Luke 15, verse 3. And it says there that Jesus said, what about if there was a man that had 100 sheep? And one of them got lost. What would he do? He would take the 99 and put them in an open field where they would be safe. And then he would go and look and look and look and look until he found the one sheep. And then he's going to take that sheep, put it over his neck, carry it back, and not just put it with the flock, but literally would say to his friends, come with me and let's celebrate because what was lost has been found. Matter of fact, Jesus said, like this, said it like this in verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then he says, let me tell you about somebody else. Imagine a woman who has 10 coins. 
10 silver coins. And she loses one. Now, a silver coin that's being described here would be roughly worth one day's wage. And so that would be a significant savings point, but it represents basically one day's wage. And it says that what would that woman do? She would take and she would light the lamps within the house. She would take a broom and she'd begin to sweep every corner until she could finally find that coin. And when she finds it, she would call out to her friends and say, come with me, celebrate, let's rejoice because I found my coin. And Jesus said in verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now look at the trend that is taking place. He is saying, if there's one sheep out of 99, if they're recovered, there's a celebration. If there's one coin out of 10, if they're recovered, there's a celebration. And in each of these parables that Jesus is telling, there are four elements that keep on showing up. There is something that is valued, it is lost, it is recovered, and then it's celebrated. And you need to know, as we go to the text for today, that those four elements are there as well. Luke 15, verse 11. And it's the parable, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. It could be called the parable of two sons, but I would like to suggest the parable of two lost sons. The Bible says in verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country country and he began to be in need so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything and Jesus said okay we have talked about the hundred we talked about the ten now let me talk to you about a son a younger brother a brother who was not willing to wait to get his inheritance. He wasn't willing to wait to mature and to grow. Instead, he said, give it to me now. I want to take it now. I want to do with it what I want to. I want to live my life my way. I want to be in charge. And so he did. The father gave him the inheritance. That would have been an unusual thing to do. But this father knew this is what he needed to do for that son. And the Bible says that instead of being grateful, the Bible literally says that the son took his inheritance and he squandered it. And, it, and it not, the word that is being used isn't a word that says he spent it on daily needs or he spent it as it was fit or he spent it with investments that didn't work out. It literally means he, he spent money as if it was just falling out of his wallet and it would never end. Here's what you need to know. You need to know that there are always people who are willing to be around you when you're willing to live a life of waste. There's always a crowd 
as long as somebody can fund it. But the Bible says there came a day where the funds ran out. And when they ran out, his friends ran out too. And so now he's in a foreign country. He's not sure what he can do, but this is what he knows. I'm hungry and I need a job. So he takes a job as, as a pig servant, basically. Now, we're not going to go through all the ritualistic ideas of part of unclean or clean. Here's just what we need to know. I don't care if you think pigs are clean or unclean. I will tell you this. I've worked around pigs. They don't start smelling better as you go along. <laughs> There's not a whole lot there that draws me to them. But we know this. There was a point where that boy looked at what the pigs ate and they were, he was jealous of a pig. That's what sin will do to you. It'll draw you down until there's nothing left. It says in verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And the Bible says when he came to himself, and literally it means when he came to his right mind. Because part of what can happen is sin carries with it a level of deception that is attractive. It can look so pleasing. It can look like it will bring satisfaction. It can look like it's the answer. It can look like it will be the moment that you want to live in. But the reality is, the Bible says there is a way into a man which seems right, but the way it leads to is what? Death. But when he came to his right mind, when he could see things clearly, when he could see things the way God sees things, he said, I'm going home. Because when I watch my father's servants, just his servants, they're treated better than I am. His servants aren't hungry. His servants aren't cold. They're, 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 they're not without clothing. They're not without resourcing. My father treats his servants so much better. It would be better to go to my dad and be his servant than to live the life I'm in right now. He had to come to a place of humility and repentance. He said, I'm going to tell dad I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. But can I be your servant? Can I just be your servant? Verse 20 says, and he arose. And he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And there he got cut off. Because remember what his next line would be? Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
And before he could say that, the father interrupts. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the Bible says, and they began to celebrate. He acts on his plan and he expected so little and God did so much. Give him back his place of honor. Put a robe on him. Put a ring that demonstrates he belongs to me. You put shoes on his feet. And you bring the fattened calf. Because today we're going to celebrate. My son who was lost has been found. Once again, once again, those same four elements. Valuing loss, recovery, and celebration. And I'll remind you, these parables have been given in response to Jesus looking out at scribes and at Pharisees, people who were intent about being obedient to God and were intent about being faithful to what the Word says and were committed to withholding standards that demonstrated godliness. And he's looking at them and he is giving them these three parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. To answer this question, why would Jesus so willingly embrace and accept people who didn't seem to care about the things of God, who were living lives that most of us would not in any way be comfortable with, much less having them at our dinner table? And maybe the best answer could be found in Luke 19, just a few more chapters over, where Jesus, talking about Zacchaeus, a tax collector coming to faith, said this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Value, loss, recovery, celebration. But in this one parable, this final parable, there's one more element that Jesus introduces. It's in Luke 15, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked him, what what mean these things? And they said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. And refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you've never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And in this parable, Jesus says to the Pharisee, 
and the scribe. The older brother, he did all the right things, but he was missing the right heart. He always worked hard, but was it because he loved me or because he was just committed to doing what was right? He didn't understand the heart of the father. And because of that, the older brother found himself outside looking in, trying to understand why is dad playing favorites with him? This final element, there's an older brother that always did right but didn't understand grace, didn't understand his father's heart. And you know, I think for the first time, the Pharisee and the scribe, that when they heard about the lost sheep, they thought maybe, well, maybe we are the shepherd that goes and finds the lost sheep because the Bible records how many times they would go out to, to go to foreign nations even to find converts. Or maybe they saw themselves, oh, I, we're, we're like the woman that is sweeping, that's looking for that lost coin because we want to make sure that we are ready to give it an account. Or maybe in this, this last parable, where are we found? And then they find out where Jesus puts them. You're the older brother that can't celebrate what I'm doing in the life of these people that granted they're not perfect. Granted, some have been traitors to our nation. Granted, some are living lascivious lifestyles. Granted, some of them are living in such a way that they don't care about the things of God. But here's what you need to know. My heart is to reach those that God loves. And God loves them. Just like he loves you, but God loves them. And I'm not going to miss getting them. I'm not going to miss them. So as you think about this passage, you think about preparing for Lord's Supper, let me just give you a few things to ponder as you get your heart ready. The first is reflect on the nature of God's heart for us. Think about this. He, he is pictured as the shepherd who is seeking wherever he has to go to find you. He is pictured as a, a woman sweeping every corner to make sure that nothing is lost and that you're recovered. He's shown as the father who is waiting for the moment of your response. And sometimes if we're not careful, we, we forget and we think about this father waiting and we think God is just sitting there passively waiting. But remember the first two parables, he's seeking, he's sweeping, he's looking, he's hoping, he's wanting And when he sees the first glimmer of response, he's running to get to you because he loves you. Something else to ponder, the reality that we all need God's grace in our lives. We all need God's grace. You know, 
People can't live a godly life until they meet the God who brings them life. So I'm just not surprised that people who don't know Jesus don't act like they know Jesus. But I am surprised when people who do know Jesus don't love on the people who need to know Jesus. Especially when sometimes that person is me. I caught myself this week. I was at the Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans. Got to be with Pastor Milt and Michelle and, and had, a, had a good response. But it's, it literally it is 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm walking six blocks back to the apartment I was staying in. And I see a couple in front of me. I don't know if they were married. They looked like they were in their early 30s. I'm not sure what the nature of the relationship was except for one thing. They believed in sharing because they had a fifth of gin, and they were passing it back and forth. It's 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and this thing has already been knocked down where there's about that much left. And I'm watching them, and I'm thinking about them, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, in my heart, I was judging them immediately. I mean, I'm not talking about their choice of liquor. I'm talking about I was judging them that at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, that's your solution to the heat. And all I can think of is if you are that competent in your drinking that at 1 o'clock you can walk straight doing what I'm watching you do for six blocks, then you must be practiced. And the Lord very gently just kind of hit me and said I loved them I love them and we need to be mindful of something we need to be mindful that grace is something we all need and we will always need One other thing, a reminder that we all come to the Lord's table the same way. We all come to the Lord's table because Jesus died for us, because he paid the price on the cross, because he took sin and paid the penalty that we owed. And that he was buried and resurrected on the third day so that if any of us called upon his name and trusted him as Lord and Savior, we could be eternally part of the family of God. Jesus did that for us. So when I come to the table, I didn't get to the, the pathway to the table wasn't easier because of my background than for somebody else. It still cost Jesus his life. And I'm reminded of something. I'm reminded that we need to make sure that as a church family, that we welcome people to a community of faith and not to a culture of faith. You see, sometimes we bring people in and we start telling them, this is how we act in church. We sit on chairs, we don't sleep laying down on the chair. 
And those of you that sat back up, I thank you. But <laughs> the, the reality is, is that, you know, you'll hear people say, don't their kids know better? We don't do that in church. And we get worried about these mechanics. And listen, there's, there's some pause within that. But if we're not careful, we can teach people how to act and how to behave and how to follow the rules. And they can do all that and not ever be in a relationship with Jesus. That's culture. God calls us to welcome them to a church community, and that's family. Now, let me tell you something about family. I grew up with a lot of family. My father had 13 brothers and sisters, so there was always a crowd whenever there was a family reunion. And would you believe it? I have some relatives that I think are odd And I'm reminded that for some of them, I'm that for them. But they're my family. So when I go into the reunion, I don't just hug the ones I like and say, no, you're part of the odd bunch. You go over there. And that bunch may be growing for some of you. They're my family. And I will sit and visit with people because they're my family that I might not be naturally attracted to as far as friendship goes. But they're my family. And this is what I want you to hear. I want you to hear that in this place, we want to be your family. And if you've ever felt like we were more focused on you learning culture instead of being connected into community, we are sorry for that, but we don't intend that. And because we're family, we care about each other. So that's why in just a few moments when, when I open up this altar and we have deacon families that will be on either side available to pray and I'll be available to pray and there's some other folks who may be in the balcony. We want, if you've got a need, we want to know. If you're going through a tough week, we want to pray for you. If you have somebody that is, that is challenging you that you need encouragement, we want to pray for you. If you've got a financial need, we want to know about it. Listen, we want to be your family. I know that not all families are safe, but we want this to be a safe place for you. You see, what's not recorded in Scripture is what did the older brother, I mean, what did the scribe and the Pharisees do after Jesus gave them their place in the story? But let me ask you this. How about you? Did you recognize yourself anywhere inside these stories? Does God have something he's saying to you? Because I'll remind you in, in just a little bit after we have our prayer time, we're going to be entering into the time of the Lord's Supper. I want to read this to you in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I want you to know that when we come together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, 
We're proclaiming his death, burial, resurrection, and his return. But until he returns, it's a reminder. We're a family. So this morning, I'm going to pray for us. And after we pray, we're going to stand together. And after that, we're going to have a time of prayer. And we want you to be able to be prayed for. And it could be that you just need to go to somebody else that's sitting in this service. And you say, will you pray with me? You don't have to come to the front to pray. But we know this. Family is willing to tell other family their story and their need. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the reminder that you love us, that your grace is real, and that, Lord God, that you pursue us. And, Lord, that we all need grace. So, Father, in this day, in this moment, as we prepare our hearts for this Lord's Supper, I pray that, God, that you would speak to us. And if there's a need that we need to be able to share with someone else to receive prayer, that we would be courageous and do that. That, Father, if there's a decision that we need to make, whether it's following Christ or following Christ in baptism or whatever that decision might be, that, God, that today would be the day we'd solidify that before we take the Lord's Supper. And, Father, we pray that we would always have eyes to see people the way you see them, to see their heart, to see their need, and to look past what could keep us from seeing them the way you see them. For we pray it in the holy and precious name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.